Awesome, awesome. And we want you to invite your friends because we've got a lot of ministry. We've got a Bible study in Haitian. We've got um, translation in Haitian. We've got a one group, a one group in translation. And then we've got ESOL, uh, English as a Second Language. And so bring them in, man, and we're going to bless them. We believe that's the next group of people that God has put on our heart to really reach out <laughs> to in a big way. And um, so today, Leslie is going to translate for me, um, the opening passage of Scripture. And I want you to turn, if you would, to Psalm 150. Psalm 150. Psalm 150 says, Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in the mighty heavens. Oh, it's off. Dude, what's up, man? Check, check. Are we on? Yeah, good. Okay, you ready? Are you ready now? Good. You nervous? You don't look nervous. Praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him in the mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty acts. Praise Him according to the abundance of His greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. I got that one. The guitar. Praise him with the tambourine and the dancing. Come here. Can you dance? Come on, do it, buddy. Praise him with the string instruments and flute. Praise him with the resounding cymbals. Praise him with the loud cymbals. Let everything that has breath and everything that, that has the breath of life praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah in the Greek. Everybody say hallelujah in Italian. Everybody say hallelujah in Hebrew. Everybody say hallelujah in Jamaican. Man. Hallelujah, man. Well, this morning I want to continue my series entitled Fearless, and we've been looking into the life of David. Now, I want you to know that David is far from perfect. David does a lot of things that are wrong. David has seasons in his life. David sometimes is really seeking the face of God, and he's really doing the right thing. In fact, he always seeks the face of God, but sometimes he's just not doing the right thing. And then David goes through seasons of his life where he's kind of backslidden a little bit. But in all of that, God says David is a man after his own heart. And the reason why I believe God says that is because David is always longing to connect to God. Even when David is far from God, he's still longing to connect with God. David is always running hard after God, and he seeks God every season of his life. And David is longing to be obedient, even though at times he's struggling. And when David fails, David knows how to embrace the full redemptive forgiveness of God in his life. He knows how to embrace the grace of God in his life, and God restores David again. But I think out of all the virtues of David, and we touched on it in week two of the Fearless series, I think one of the things that makes David stand out above anybody else is that David in the scriptures, he knows how to worship God. He's a passionate worshiper of God. He knows that he needs to demonstrate his worship to God. And as a result of that, he really understands how to go deep into worship with God. Now, now we don't know exactly who wrote Psalm 150. It doesn't say that David wrote it, but I could just hear David at the end of all the Psalms that he writes, that David says, praise God. Praise God for his mighty acts. Praise God in the sanctuary. Where? In the sanctuary. Praise him for all the great things that he's done. Praise God with the the guitar. Praise God with the lyre. Praise God with the flute. Praise God with the instruments. I could see David saying, let everything on the face of this earth and everyone praise the Lord. And I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. I want you to grab them right here. I want you to grab them on the wrist and I want you to see if they're breathing. Because if they're breathing, then you need 
to look at them and say, you need to be praising the Lord. You need to be worshiping God with your whole life. Amen. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're still the funniest looking person I've ever seen in my life. So you need to praise God with joy in your heart. So David, with a resounding end of all of his psalms, would say, when it's all said and done, you need to live a life of praise. You need to live a life of worship. And so as we look into the life of David, we learn that David teaches us three things about worship. The first thing that David teaches us is that worship is actually a lifestyle. That worship is not just something that you do on Sunday morning. Now, now I know that for some of us, we've got this mindset <coughs> that, when, that when we come to church on a Sunday morning, that we dress in our very best. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with looking good on a Sunday morning. But we've got this concept that when I'm going to the house of God, when I'm in the presence of God, I need to look good. Friend, I want to tell you something. When you're naked in the shower, you're in the presence of God. Come on, somebody. And you know what? The truth of the matter is the most holiest moment of your day is when you're naked and you're in the shower. You don't have your power suit on. You don't have your makeup on. But you're in the very presence presence of God and you recognize that God is in the presence of you and that that's the time when you burst out and say thank you God because you're in my life you're always in my life you never leave me you never forsake me God sees you for who you are in the shower and let me tell you I get some of my best songs in the shower don't get a mental picture of that come on but the truth is, worship is not something that you do when you come to a building, but worship is actually, I want you to write this down, worship is your response to who God is and what God has done. Come on, somebody. Worship is your response to who God is and what God has done in your life. David said, I worship God because he's a great God. He's a mighty God. You see, our response is really important important to who he is. And so worship is our response to who he is. He's great. Therefore, I worship him. Now, I want you to know that if your heart is not connected to what you do, then it's just really noise. It's not really sincere. So it's all about your heart. God is not looking at just what you say, even though it's important to him, but it's how you say it. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if my heart is in love with God, my mouth is going to say so. If, if my heart is in love with God, my money is going to say so. Because where my treasure is, that's where my heart is. And so I take everything that I am and I give it to God because he's so awesome and he deserves the praise. As the Bible says, as the psalmist says, give glory to God. Why? Because he's due the glory that you give him. He's worthy of that glory. So my heart is connected to a great God and I want to serve God. I want to love God. I want to use my talents. I want to use my treasures. I want to use everything that I have for the glory of God. Why? Because worship is a response to who God is and what he's done. And so when I recognize all the things that God has done in my life, then I worship him. I bring to him everything that is due his glory and his honor and his name. So worship is a lifestyle. I worship God every moment of my life. And, and that everything then, then we are and everything that we possess, everything we own, then becomes God's. Then we use everything. We use our money for the glory of God. We use our talents for the glory of God. Work then becomes worship unto God. And so worship then becomes a lifestyle on a daily basis. You know, Jesus, he's actually going through Samaria, and the Bible says he stops at a well, and he's talking to a Samaritan woman. Now, number one, rabbis, Jews alone, don't talk to Samaritans because Samaritans are half-breeds. They're like terrorists to Jews. And there's no way in the world that a Jew would be found talking to a Samaritan. And yet, not only that, but he, it's a woman, and a woman's at the well all by herself, and she's got a really bad reputation. This woman had tried to find peace and joy and fulfillment in relationships outside of God. And the Bible says that Jesus now begins to speak into her life and he sees that she's empty on the inside. 
He sees that she's empty in her heart, that, that even though she's a worshiper in her own mind, she goes to a place to worship her God, that she's really not close to God because she's got such guilt in her life. And as a result of that, her heart is not connected to what she's doing outwardly. And as a result of that, Jesus says to the woman, God is looking for people that don't just speak with their lips, but God is looking for people that worship him in spirit and in truth. God is looking for, this woman is saying, look, we, we, we worship here on this mountain. You worship somewhere else. She's looking for a location. Jesus is looking for a person. Hallelujah. She's looking for a location. Jesus is looking for a heart. Amen? And when your heart is in love with God, your worship follows. Come on, somebody. When your heart is passionately in love with God, love the Lord your God with all of your heart. First, with your heart, with your soul. What is the heart? The heart is the very inner person of who we are. It's my every desires of our heart. When I love God with all of my desires, then I love God with my mind. I love God with my strength. I love God with everything that is within me. So worship then becomes a lifestyle. Notice what David says in Psalms 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. And all that is within me, I will praise the Lord with every part of who I am, with every ounce of my strength, with all of my time, with all of my energy, with my entire life, with my soul, my body, my mind, my work, my talents, my treasure. Every part of my life will be an expression of worship to God. Psalms 104, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. He said, as long as I'm breathing, let everything happen. As long as I'm breathing, I will praise the Lord. He said, I will praise him with my whole being. Psalms 9, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of his wonders. There's no lukewarmness in David when it comes to worshiping. There's no half-hearted praise. There's no meager acts of adoration. There's no measly means of reverence. There's no inadequate exhortation from David. David worships God. God with all that's in him. Secondly, David teaches us that we worship God in the good times and the bad times. David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. Everybody say, I will bless the Lord at all times. And what we find in David's life, the reason why David is a man after God's own heart is because David worships God in the good times and he worships God in the bad times. David said, I will worship God in the hard times and I'll worship God in the easy times. I'll worship God in the heartbreaking times and the times of joy. In the dark times and the dark, and the times when I can see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'll worship God in a cave on the run from Saul. I'll worship God when my son Absalom is chasing after me. I'll worship God all the time in my life. That's what made David a man after God's own heart. Even while he's sitting in a cave, even when he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he's still worshiping God. Wow. Amazing. In fact, some of the deepest psalms, some of the most incredible psalms that we hold on, we cling to for for comfort and guidance and wisdom and joy in our life have been psalms that David wrote in a cave. I mean, tell me some of your favorite psalms. Anybody? A favorite psalm. Anybody have a favorite psalm? Psalm 91. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the... He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide... That's what David did. He sang to the Lord. Give me another psalm. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Though I walk through the valley. He wrote that in the difficult times of his life. Give me another psalm. Yeah, that sounds like a bad Chinese movie. Give me, give me. 119. 119. Psalm 119. Give me another one. Psalm 21. Psalm 37. Psalm 34. Psalm 61, Psalm 51, all of these psalms are psalms that David wrote while he was in a difficult place in his life. All these psalms that we cling to in our life. 
that bring comfort in our heart and our lives are psalms that were written in the dark times of his life. I want you to know something. God sometimes allows you to go through dark times in your life, dark seasons in your life. When you're on the run, when you're on the run and you feel like, man, it it feels like, man, God's not going to answer this prayer, but you keep on worshiping, you keep on serving God. When you face sickness in your life, when you face difficulties in your life, when you face questions in your life, when you lose people that you love in your life, that's the time when you sing. That's the time when you worship God. That's the time when you praise God. And the whole world looks at you and says, wow, that person's real. That person's deep. Why? Because even when they're going through the valley of the shadow of death, they still worship God. That's when your worship is the clearest. That's when your worship is the loudest. When you're going through deep times in your life and you can still praise the Lord. Come on, somebody. See, God gives you a song in the middle of the night so that you can be a light shining to the world. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. I want you to say with me, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord in the good times. I will bless the Lord in the difficult times. I will praise the Lord in the valley. I will praise the Lord on the mountaintop. Nothing is going to stop me from praising the Lord. Come on, say it right now. Nothing is going to stop me from praising. Come on, give, give God some praise today. Come on, give, give God some praise today. Hey, hey, James. Hey, James, I gave you a shout-out on Christmas Eve, and I wanted to sing happy birthday to you. That's true. You, you, you didn't make it to church. But my friend James just started coming to the church. And can I be a little bold to say that James lost his son recently. But we're going to sing happy birthday to you right now. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear James. Happy birthday. You have a great birthday, James. We love you. Welcome to the family. Welcome to the family, bro. You see, David teaches us that we need to worship God at all times. David knew that praise was given to him as a weapon against the enemy of his soul. David knew the secret of tapping into God's power in praise in order to defeat his enemies, whether they were physical or spiritual. David said in Psalms 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me, it is my enemies and my foes that will come and try to destroy me. But they will stumble and fall. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise up against me. This I still will be confident. Why? Because one thing... I have desired of the Lord. This one thing I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion. Notice what David says. David said, when my enemy comes against me, when I'm under spiritual attack and I begin to worship the Lord, God hides me in his pavilion. Then my head will be lifted above my enemies. Come on, somebody say amen. Glory to God. In fact, you know, David understood that principle, and he would begin to worship God. The Bible says when, when a, an evil spirit came upon Saul, David would begin to worship the Lord, and the evil spirit would depart from Saul. That's how powerful worship is. Friend, I'm going to tell you something. When you begin to worship the Lord, the devil can't stand it. He can't stand hearing you praise the Lord. You want the devil to be out of your life? Keep on praising the Lord. He can't stand hearing the praises of God in, on your lips. Amen? And so David knew that great things happened when he praised the Lord. Walls would come tumbling down. Enemies would be defeated. Depression would be overcome. Discouragement would be derailed. Doubt would be dismantled. Demons would be dethroned. Fear would be conquered. And sin would be crushed in his life when we choose to praise the Lord. Now, thirdly, David, and I want to land on this for a few moments, David actually helps us to realize that what is happening inwardly in our life needs to be demonstrated outwardly from our bodies, physically. That's really important. I want to I stop right now and kind of give you a commercial on taking care of your body. We ought to eat well. Now, I know that, you know, we had holidays, and I've had to repent for too many cookies that I ate. I, I'm going to be honest. With you. you know, but the truth of the matter is, is we need to take care of this body. God's given you this body for a reason. Your body is the temple 
of the Holy Spirit. Your body has been given to you so that the world can see you react to God. See, the world can't see your spirit. I mean, if somebody says to you, they can see your spirit, you need to report them and have them get some help, okay? To be honest with you, right? But what they see is your physical outward body. That's what they see. They see your body. And the Bible tells us that we're to offer our bodies to the Lord as a living sacrifice, And how we respond to God physically, how we use our body as worship to God. Listen to what it says. You are to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's why you need to take care of your body. That's why you shouldn't drink and smoke and do drugs and all of that stuff. Why? Because it just harms that which God has given you, this beautiful body. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are funniest, you're the funniest looking person I've ever seen in my life. But that's the body God gave you. And, and he loves you. And he created you this way to glorify God. And so in, in a response to what God is doing on the inside, on your heart, with deep within your soul, you need to have a response to God. So David, he understands this. And, and, and David opens up, he reveals to us in Scripture seven ways in which we are to respond to God in worship with our bodies. Because our body is actually responding to as our heart is, is, is understanding God and relating to God and communicating with God. Hey, listen. From the heart, the mouth speaks, right? From the heart, the hands are raised. From the heart, we bend our knees. From the heart, we shout, we sing, we dance, right? So the world is watching us, and the world needs to see us demonstrate our worship in our giving, in our service to God, all those things. Now, let me say again that you can do all those things, and your heart is far from God. God said to the people of Israel in Malachi, he says, you sing, but your heart is far from me. So just singing is not enough. Your heart has to be connected to God. But how beautiful it is when a heart is connected to God and it responds in worship in a very expressive way to God, in a very passionate way to God. And so David gives us seven Hebrew words To help us to respond to God in a way that helps the world to see that we love God. It's a way in which we respond to God with our bodies. Why? Because God loves us. He loves every part of who we are. He loves our body. He loves our spirit. And he loves our soul. So David helps us to recognize that there are ways to respond to God. In fact, I believe these seven words in the Hebrew will literally change the way that you worship God. These seven words will give you the key to victory, I believe, in your life. I believe these seven Hebrew words will unlock the power of God in your life. They're very powerful words. So let me give you these words. The first word is Hallel. Everybody say Hallel. Everybody say Hallel. Everybody say it again, Hallel. Now Hallel, the root word of Hallel is Hallelujah. Everybody say Hallelujah. Everybody say it again in the Greek. Say it in Hebrew. Say it in Italian. Say it in Jamaican. Man. Hallelujah. And so the first word we find is this word that means to be clear, to praise, to shine. The word hallelujah means to shine. It means to boast. It means to show, to rave about. It means to celebrate. It means, listen to me, it means to be clamorously foolish. That's what it means. It means that we celebrate the very presence of God. When we worship God, we celebrate who he is, listen to me, and what he's done in our life. We put on a big party. You see, the truth is the world knows how to party better than the church does. But the church ought to be the happiest place in the whole world. They should hear us celebrate at Bethlehem Assembly of God. They should say, what in the world is going on over there? They're having a party. Hey, man, I've been to some of your weddings, man. I've seen some of you guys when you get a little drunk, you know, a little bit little bit tipsy over there. Well, that's for another day, all right? That's for another sermon, right? But, man, you get out there on the dance floor and you're celebrating. Let me tell you, you white people, you're making a fool out of yourself. 
because you can dance, right? But man, you get out there and you're celebrating. Celebrate good times. Come on. And I think to myself, what are they celebrating, right? As compared to celebrating an almighty God for the great things he's done in our life. For who he is. I've, I've watched some of you folks go to a football game or a baseball game or a basketball game. And boy, oh boy, you know how to celebrate. You know how to get down and get happy that your team is winning. How much more should we celebrate the goodness of God in our life? Listen to what David says. David says, make everyone know that you celebrate your God. He said in Psalms 113, praise, hallelujah, hallel the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. Praise his holy name, hallel his name. Make it known, celebrate his name. Celebrate what the Lord has done. Praise Hallel the Lord. Praise the Lord in his sanctuary. Praise him for his mighty acts and in his mighty expansion. Praise the Lord. Let them praise the Lord. Let everyone sing and everyone who has breath, let him celebrate the Lord. Come on, somebody celebrate the Lord. Now, now we touched on this a few weeks ago. When we talked about David coming into Jerusalem and the Bible tells us, that the first time David tries to transport the ark into Jerusalem, he does it the wrong way. Now, we know that the, the ark of the Lord, an, a, a box, it's a wooden box made out of acacia wood overlaid by gold. And in it are some really important things. And the Bible tells us there was a, a mercy seat over the ark of the covenant and there were, there were angels, seraphims, that were on the Ark of the Covenant. And it's sim- listen to me. It symbolized the presence of Almighty God. It symbolized the mercy of God. It symbolized the grace of God. It symbolized the mighty, awesome power of God. And the Bible says because of the sins of Israel, God allowed the Ark to be taken from them. And the Philistines had it for a little while, but they had to get rid of it because the Ark had some really funny power towards the Philistines. And as a result of that, now it's left in someone's home. And David sees that that person is being blessed of God because it's the very presence. It's a symbol of the presence of God. And David wants to take the Ark. Now David is king. He's king over Israel and Judah. And he wants to make sure that the Ark of the Lord is in its right place in the in Jerusalem in the temple and so he devises a plan he says boys listen to me we can get the ark there quicker instead of carrying it the way the Lord told the the, uh, the Israelites to carry it he was supposed to put it on uh, on the shoulders and he was supposed to carry it they were supposed to carry it on poles and they would never to put it on a cart never but David said you know what I'm just going to do it my way friend you can't worship God your way you You've got to worship God his way. Come on, somebody say amen. You can't come into the presence of God your way. How many people try to come into the presence of God with their good works? How many people try to come into the presence of God with the things, the offerings? They think, well, if I put in the offering, I do this or I do that, I can come into the presence. There's only one way that you can come into the presence of God. It's with the blood of Jesus. Come on, somebody. It's only through a humble heart recognizing the grace of God in our life. And so David figures, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm going, to, I'm going to make a plan. And they put it on a cart. And the Bible says that as the cart was going, it started to stumble. And as a result of that, one of the priests reached out his hand, and he tried to steady the ark. And the Bible says God struck him dead. You think God was delighted to strike down a high priest? Never. But the reason why God had to do that is to show all of Israel, you can't take my presence lightly. You don't take worship lightly. If I tell you to do it this way, do it this way because there's a reason for it. I'm a holy God. I'm a righteous God. But not only that, but I've given you worship and praise for a good reason. So do it my way. And the Bible says that the ark went away for a little while. And David longed for the ark of God to be in its right place. And David repents of what he did. And the Bible says that David said, no, I'm going to get it right this time. And David follows the pattern of worship. And now the Bible says that the ark is in the very presence of the people of Israel and David recognizes the power of God. David recognizes the grace of God. David recognizes the 
goodness of God over his life. And the Bible says that David got so hilarious that he stripped off his outer garment and he began to dance before the Lord. And his wife looked at him and became indignant and said, how could you do this? How could you strip yourself and look like a fool in front of all these maidens? And David said, listen to me, I'll even become more undignified than this. And he began to dance before the Lord. I know some of you are afraid that you're going to make a fool out of yourself when you live a wholehearted life before the Lord. Somebody's going to laugh. You let them laugh. You know who your God is, and you do the right thing, and you serve him with a whole heart, and you celebrate the presence of God. Come on, somebody. Help me out and say amen. Glory to God. You see, when you truly understand how blessed you've been and who God is, you can't help yourself but to celebrate who God is in a big way. Listen, we need to learn how to celebrate God in a big way. Do you celebrate God on a daily basis in a big way? I'm not just talking about in here, but every day of your life, do you celebrate God? I want you to go home and I want you to keep on asking yourself the same question. Do I celebrate God in a big way? The second word is yada. Everybody say yada. Now, yada is actually a verb, and it means to throw up our hands, to throw up our hands in worship to God. Notice what David says about yada. David says, oh, that men should yada the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works for the children of men. Oh, that men should raise their hands, throw up their hands and worship to God. Now, Paul tells us in the New Testament, I desire that In every place, men and women should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Nehemiah tells us, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered and said, Amen. And they lifted up their hands and they bowed their heads in worship to the Lord with their faces to the ground. Listen to me. There is something so powerful about hands raised to God because it symbolizes, listen to me, the sovereignty of God in our life. We raise our hands in worship and we recognize, God, you are a sovereign God. And everything that I have in my hands, Lord God, it belongs to you, Lord. God, you're a sovereign God. You're a God who provides for me. And as a result of that, I raise my hands in worship to you. And I tell you, God, that everything that I have, Lord, all that I earned, all that I have, Lord, you gave it to me, Lord God. You gave me the strength to work, God. You gave me the ability to make the money. You gave me the ability to do what I do, God. And all the glory goes to you, Lord God. And nothing I hold on to, God, I release it all back to you because it belongs to you. Come on. I want you all to raise your hands with me. Come on. I know it's early in the morning, but some of you can do it. Come on. Raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hands to God today. See, we raise our hands in worship, not because it's just something that we do before we preach. We raise our hands because what we're saying to God is, God, you are my provider. You are, come on, raise your hands. The Bible tells us, you know, and I went to a Jewish temple, and let me tell you something. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah, but man, they had scripture after scripture about raising their hands, waving to God, the wave offering, recognizing during the harvest time that it was God who gave them everything that they had. Come on, somebody raise your hand and say, thank you, God. Come on, look up to God right now. Come on, look up to God with your hands extended to God and say, God, I surrender to you, Lord God. I believe that you are a sovereign God and you have provided all things for me, God. And I raise my hands in worship to you because you are Lord. Come on, that is amazing. I want you, I want you to notice the Bible says in Exodus that not only hands raised to God believe that God is a sovereign God, but hands raised to God means that we believe God is a mighty God and God fights our battles. That we don't need to hold on to our sword. We don't need to hold on to our gun. Because nothing that we can do can really deal with the spiritual forces of darkness in our heart. We put on the full armor of God. And part of that is to understand that when we pray, we praise the Lord and we raise our hands. And the Bible says that when the people of God went against the people of uh, the Amalekites, the Bible says that when they began to, to be defeated, God told Moses, I want you to raise your hands in sovereign worship to me. I want you to raise your hands. He didn't say, I want you to pick up a sword and go fight. He didn't say, I want you to lead the battle by going down into the valley with a sword and showing them how to battle. He said, I want you to raise your hands and begin to worship me. And the Bible says, as long as Moses' hands were raised towards heaven, 
The battle belonged to Israel. When Moses' hands began to fall down, the battle belonged to the Amalekites. Friends, don't stop praising the Lord. Through the difficult times in your life, when you're facing the darkest times, the greatest spiritual battles of your life, keep your hands raised to heaven. Are you praying for your son? Are you praying for your daughter? Are you praying for somebody that's lost? Are you praying for healing? Are you praying for a victory in your life? Raise your hands and praise the Lord. Glory to God, because the answer is on the way. You see, because the next word is a word that's called tada. Now, tada is also a word that means to extend their hand, raise to God, but it has this implication that we praise the Lord, listen to me, until the answer comes. We praise the Lord and we keep on praising the Lord. We, listen to me. We keep our hands extended to God until the answer comes. We say, God, I'm not going to stop praising you, Lord God, until my son comes home. I'm not going to stop praising you, Lord God, until I see the answer. Lord, I'm never going to stop praising you no matter what happens in my life. It's to give thanks Somebody said in Psalms 56, in God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me. Oh God, I will render, listen to me, I will render tada. I will render thanksgiving. I will, listen to me, the word tada means to make a confession. There's power in the tongue uh, to bring life or death. Man, you start complaining about your situation. I talk to some people, and all they do is complain, complain, complain. The victory is never going to be yours until you stop complaining, until you start confessing victory in your life. Now, I understand that some pastors have made that a formula. Give me $1,000, and I'll give you a word of confession. Listen to me. You confess because you know that God is a great God. You confess because you know that God is always been faithful. You confess because you can look in your past and know that God has delivered you in the past. He'll do it again. You confess because you know that the battle doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. You confess that God is a great God, that Jesus died on the cross, and on the third day, he rose from the grave, and he's seated in heavenly places, and he's ever living to intercede for you. And as a result of that, you know the victory is on the way. So you keep on praising the Lord because you know that the victory is on its way. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Glory to God. It means to bring a sacrifice of praise. You know, sometimes praise is a sacrifice. Sometimes praise really feels good. I mean, it feels right. Sometimes you feel so good. Come on, and you knew you would. Sometimes you feel so good that you want to sing. Sometimes you don't feel so good. Sometimes you feel horrible. That's the time you bring your sacrifice of praise to the Lord. Sometimes you feel like you're bound up, like Paul was bound in prison. But Paul brought his sacrifice to praise. Then the victory came. Sometimes you feel like Jehoshaphat, Lord, I don't know what to do. God, there's an army that's coming against me, and I have no clue, Lord. And it's a big army, God, but my eyes are on you. Sometimes you have to set the singers at the front of the battle before the victory comes, but you begin to sing, and God He hears that sacrifice of praise. When your heart is broken, but you still sing. When your heart is broken, you still praise the Lord. When you're confused and you don't understand why God has even allowed you to go through this, but you still give him thanks. You bring thanksgiving for the things not yet received. Here's what Paul said about this. Philippians chapter 4, be anxious about nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds to Christ Jesus. Paul said before the answer comes, you need to keep on praising him. Oh, you come before God and you say, God, Lord, I have this request, Lord. Lord, my son is far from you. My daughter is far from you. Lord God, I need, I need a miracle in my life, God, but I give you praise today. Paul says when you do that, the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Then there's the word Barak. Everybody say Barak. Everybody say Barak. Barak means to kneel down. It means to bless God as an act of adoration to salute. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sense in our hearts. Now remember, if our heart is far from God, then it's just an act. But there's this humility, there's this brokenness in our heart 
that when we come into the presence of Almighty God, we are humbled by his greatness, by his majesty. You know, I know there's a generation today that doesn't know how to kneel. They don't know how to kneel down. But I'm telling you, there's something very powerful when you come before the Lord and you recognize that he is holy. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, my grandfather, he, he came from Italy and um, he gave his heart to the Lord. He got, he got saved uh, in America. And the Lord did a great work in his life. He was on fire for God, never, never was educated as a pastor, but he went back to Italy and he began to preach the gospel in every town. People came against him. He was thrown in prison overnight, um, but he would never stop praising the Lord. And I learned something from my grandfather. Let me tell you something, parents. Listen to me. The Lord woke me up last night. He gave me a word for some parents in this room. As parents, we will always leave something to our children and impart something to our children. We never die because we live through our children. That's the truth. The question is, what are you going to impart into your children's lives? Are you going to impart hatred, bigotry, racism, doubt, unbelief, fear, complaining, grumbling? Or are you going to impart into your children faith and love and compassion, understanding of a mighty God? You're the one who gets to decide what you're going to leave to your children. Give them a great spiritual inheritance. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for my grandfather, my grandmother. And I remember... Growing up as a little child, my grandfather used to come to stay with me. And um, I'll never forget, in the morning, early in the morning, my grandfather would say in Italian, it was a dialect, he'd say, Shinander. And it meant, get on your knees. Get, get, get on your knees and worship God the first thing in the morning. And it's kept, it stayed with me for my whole life. And there's not a day that goes by that I don't bow my knee before the king there's just something, just something about coming before God. Totally abandoned. Not worried about who's behind me, who's in front of me. But just simply coming before the king and saying, God, I can't get any lower. Lord, I can't humble myself anymore than to get on my knees before you and worship you for who you are. It's such a sweet, sweet atmosphere of humility when we do that before the Lord. Psalms 95 says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us barak, let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. First Chronicles 29, then David said to the whole assembly, to the whole church, now barak, bless the Lord, your God. And all the people of the church, of the assembly, bowed before the Lord the God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. Psalms 34, I will bless, I will barak the Lord at all times. I will bow low before the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. Oh, I, I like this one, zamar. Everybody say, zamar. David said, I, I, will, I will bless the Lord. I will zamar the Lord. Psalms 21, be exalted, O God, in thine own strength. So we will sing and we will zamar the Lord. We will praise the Lord. Now, this word for zamar means to pluck the strings as an instrument, to sing, to praise. It's a, it's a musical word which is largely involving a joyful expression of music. Now, I want you to know that music was created by God. Music was created by the king. Do you know that God loves to sing? You know, we have this picture of God, this, this God in heaven who's sitting on his throne. He's got this long beard, and he's in a bad mood, and if you get out of line, he's going to hit you with a stick or zap you and throw, cast you into hell. That's not my father. That's not my heavenly father in heaven. The Bible says that, that God actually gets off his throne and he dances over you. Hallelujah. He's the prodigal father who loves his son. And when his son comes home, he throws a party. Did you know that God loves to throw big parties? Come on, turn to your neighbor right now and say, God loves to throw big parties. 
and you're invited to the party. And God created music. God is a musical God. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that Satan himself, Lucifer, was the angel. And he was in charge. He was the archangel in charge of music. Music came out of him. That's why I believe that the enemy uses music to so much deceive and pull people away from God. Music is a very, very powerful thing. How many of you love music? I think everybody loves music. Music's just an international thing, man. I just love music. Everybody loves music. I love music. I love to sing. Something happens when music is played. You know, you can change somebody's mood with music on Sunday afternoon. You know what? The best part of my whole week is 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. I tell you that all the time. Because I come to church, I preach my guts out. Might not be the best preacher in the whole world, but I lay it all down on the line. And man, I put it and I leave it all on the field. And when I leave, I go, I pull down my, I don't care if it's 30 degrees. I pull down all, I put on the, I, I put on the music as loud as I can. And I rejoice all the way home because another person came to know Jesus as their savior. And I celebrate, glory to God. And man, there are times when I want to be still before the Lord. I want to be quiet. I want to bow before the Lord. And I put worship music on and it. And it changes the atmosphere. God created God created music. God created music because he wants us to celebrate his presence. He created music because he wants us to express our joy. Listen, we can have a a wedding celebration this morning in this house. Why? Because he's the bridegroom and I'm the bride and he's coming again and he's coming to take me home. The Bible says the bridegroom is coming for a church without spot or wrinkle. Friends, are you excited that Jesus is coming again? He came once as a baby. He's coming again as a reigning king and that should get us to celebrate. Let's start the party soon. Hey, listen. In fact, the Bible tells us that, that there were virgins that were unprepared and virgins that were prepared to go into the celebration. Did you know in the Middle East that they started celebrating way before the bridegroom came? They had parties way before the bridegroom came. And friend, God is looking down. He said, when I come back, will I see faith on this earth? I want you to know Jesus is coming back for a celebrating church. You know what? I want Jesus to catch me. I want him to come in the rapture when I'm dancing before the Lord. And just I want to just jump and just keep on going. Woo! Glory to God. See, God gave us music to celebrate. He gave us music to sing. He gave us the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness in our life. I can't tell you how many times I was discouraged and depressed and I came into this house. You weren't here. It was 5 o'clock in the morning and I began to sing and, and shout before the Lord. I began to play the guitar. And I began to praise the Lord and the spirit of joy came all over me and I was set free from that depression in my life. I can't tell you how many times that God has delivered me from a spirit of despair because I worship the Lord. When my brother Frankie died, one of the hardest times of my life, and I remember the Lord said, you keep on praising me no matter what. And I remember preaching at his funeral. And I remember getting up in front of uh, dozens of people and I preached a sermon about the goodness of God and the glory of God. And and I worshiped God right there. And God delivered me from that spirit of depression. Why? Because God wants to give you the spirit of joy for that heaviness in your life. And he's given us music to do that. He's given us praise to do that. Then there's that word Shabbat. Everybody say Shabbat. Shabbat means to shout. To address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph. Psalms 47, 1 says, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of joy and triumph. Psalms 145, one generation shall praise, shabach thy works to another and declare your mighty acts. One generation, listen to me. I want to pass on to my children. What, I, what I've experienced of the Lord. The Bible says, listen to me, one generation will shout. I want my kids to see that I'm passionately in love with Jesus. I want them to catch me in the act of celebrating God. I want them to catch me in the act of rejoicing and dancing before the Lord. And when they come and ask me, why is it 
When my granddaughters come and ask me, why is it, Daddy? Why is it, Papa? Why are you so happy? Why do you love God so much? Why do you bow before the Lord? Why do you raise your hands? Why do you shout before the Lord? I'm going to tell them, one, I want you to know the reason why I do all these things is because God has been so good to me. When I was down, God lifted me up. When I was lost, God found me. When I was blind, God gave me eyes to see. When I was depressed, God lifted me out of depression. When I was lost, when I was desperate, God was there for me. One generation will shout it to another generation that God is a good God. Come on, somebody, shout unto God right now. Shout unto God right now. Say, yes, Lord. God said to Joshua, when you go around the city wall, shout. And the walls will come down. Do you have any walls in your life that need to come down? Well, it's time to shout. I love this word, tequila. I didn't say tequila. I said tequila. Tequila also comes from that word halal. And it means to sing or laud. It means to sing with all your might. It means to sing a new song to the Lord. Psalms 22 says... Yet thou art holy, and thou art enthroned upon, listen what he says, and you are enthroned upon the singing of your people. Can you imagine that? That God inhabits the praises of his people. That God comes and dwells in our midst when we begin to shout unto God, when we begin to worship God with all his might. You know, there's something about coming together in the congregation of the people of God. Wherever we are right now, if you're in the overflow right now, I want you to know that God is in that overflow. We are here, the people of God, together. We gather all people from 52 nations around the world in this room in unity, in, in, in unity of heart and spirit and mind. We raise our voices to God and we shout unto God and we dance unto the Lord and we say yes Lord you are great and mighty and when we do that the Bible says the presence of God comes when the praise goes up the anointing comes down when the praise goes up the victory comes down when the praise goes up deliverance comes down notice what they that notice what Paul says don't get drunk with wine he said you don't need wine any longer he says you don't need anything to give you a high that's going to last temporarily he said, which leads to reckless indiscretion. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And when you're filled with the Spirit, then you speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So David raised his hands in worship. David bowed his knee in worship. David shouted unto God, and David sang unto the Lord.